0: God, we thank you for your presence. God, we declare as the song sings that we just want to be where you are. So, God, right now we ask you to invade our space, invade our life, invade our heart, invade my family, invade my finances, invade my community. God, we just need to be where you are. So, Holy Spirit, we are asking you to come in and take over so that we can be the type of people that you want us to be. God, we thank you, and we love you, and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen, amen, and amen. Well, let's give God a hand clap of praise one more time. If you are uh, a guest, uh, let me just say welcome. My name is Lamar, I'm the lead pastor here at Tri-Cities Church, and there are so many other wonderful pastors and leaders that help lead this church, so on behalf of them, I want to extend uh, a warm welcome to you and say thank you for joining us. this is your first time, second, third, maybe you've never filled out a car, but you've been sort of visiting with us. Uh, we want to know that you're with us, so in front of you in the chair is something called a connection card. You can grab that, fill it out, and then on your way out in the back where it says next steps, you can drop that off and receive a free gift for joining us uh, this morning. There are plenty of awesome places to worship, uh, but we think we're one of the best, and so we're glad that you decided to join us. Now, we are in uh, a series called uh, Epic Church, and this is week two, so if you missed Last week, you can do this right now. Uh, If you have a smartphone, go to your app store, search TRI-Cities, download our mobile app. It is completely free, and you can listen uh, to the messages from this series and many other messages. Uh, And then let me say this, we are in the process of updating uh, and upgrading our app, and so uh, give us some grace as we continue to work with that. Uh, The update came a little bit faster than what we were told it was going to happen uh, and so if, if you have uh, an Apple device, it will automatically update. If you have an Android device, uh, you will need to delete the app that you currently have and then go back in the store and download the new version uh, of the app. And there's so many cool things that this app can do. But give us a little bit of grace as we continue to work on that uh, because there's a lot of new updates and upgrades to the technology. Uh, so we're on week two. Let me say a few things. Before I jump in into today's message, Uh, number one, uh, I don't know how many of you know this, but my wife works for the CDC, Uh, and so because of uh, the coronavirus, uh, she has been deployed to New York uh, to work at JFK to help screen international flights, and so I tell you that one, to pray for her and everybody else who is working on the front lines, but also because you're not going to see her uh, for the next month. And so we're still together. <laughs> we are still happily married. I just want to make sure I get out in front of that, because we don't want no rumors up in here that Pastor and his wife split up. We're still together. See, So you won't see her again until April. Uh, but I, I dropped off at the airport last night, and so she'll be there Uh, for the next four weeks so you'll see her again first week first Sunday in April but I want to make sure that you don't leave here wondering where my wife is Uh, and then also because we're sensitive to uh, what's going on I'm just gonna say this just use good wisdom Uh, uh, much like many things the media uh, is really trying to get us to be afraid Uh, and and we need to take precautions uh, but use the same good wisdom as you would during flu season, and it still is flu season. Uh, and so in, in order to sort of facilitate, to make sure that uh, we are following best practices, we have a new way that we're going to do communion today. We have prepackaged communion. Uh, and so at the end, I'll explain to you how to open that. But we want to do that for the next couple of weeks just to make sure that while we're going through this uh, virus, that we're doing the best that we can. To reduce your risk, because we want you to be here, uh, but we want to make sure that, you know, if you're going to high-five or hug anybody, I'm not going to tell you not to do that, uh, but make sure you wash your hands. I believe in Jesus, but I believe in wisdom, too. All right, so let's jump into uh, today's message. We are in week two of Epic Church, and so last week, we talked about uh, going through the book of Acts, and I challenge you to read chapters one through five, and so this week, your homework is I want you to read through chapters 6 through 10 because as we look at the, the life of the church and as we seek to grow stronger as a church, it's good to sort of know our roots. So I want to challenge you to do your homework this week, maybe just one chapter a, a day. You can read through chapters 6 through 10. So write that down, Acts chapter 6 through 10 because remember, I'm not going to be able to preach everything in the book of Acts. So I'm just going to pick out some things, a highlight about the church, but I want you to do your own homework. I want you to read. Don't just take my word for it. I want you to be readers and learners, and I want you to be those who study the God's word on your own. So 6 through 10. And what we begin to see as we look at last week, the birth of the church, that was the title of the church, That the church. The ch- title of the sermon was the church is born. T- today I want to talk about the church gets bigger. The church gets bigger because uh, Most of us know this who are English majors or you've been through high school, even if you've matriculated through any sort of education. We know about uh, narrative styles called epics, and there are six major elements to an epic. I'm not going to give all of them to you, but perhaps the most important for today is in an epic story, the story has to cover a vast setting, a vast setting. And so uh, something about epics is that they span a large geographical setting. If you've ever read a story like that, it doesn't just happen in one small location. It spans a large geographical setting. It, it also spans a large cosmological setting. So it's not just something that is anchored down to one area. It is sometimes something that is otherworldly. It is something supernatural that's going on. And the other thing that is vast about the setting is it breaches chronological boundaries. That means it is something that is timeless. And you see this As you study the church, that it breaks all of those boundaries. It breaks geographical boundaries because I told you this before most of us are here to worship Jesus. And talk about the things that he preached about and taught about. And all that stuff originally happened in a place that's thousands of miles away from East Point, Georgia. Because the church, it broached all the boundaries. It broke cosmological boundaries. There's something otherworldly about the church. There's something supernatural. It's not just a gathering of people who meet on a Sunday. But when we get together, something supernatural happens. And it also spans across chronological borders. Remember, Jesus said that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the church is timeless. That is epic because it's not just one little location and it spans beyond just our natural understanding and it even breaches the borders of conventional time that thousands of years ago, Jesus made a bold prediction and thousands of years later, in a place that most of us will never ever visit, we are listening to the wisdom and learning from the wisdom of things that happened thousands of years ago because the church has no boundaries when it comes to time and so in the epics there are usually a defining moment that places a demand on the characters and pushes them beyond what is comfortable and you see that in the book of Acts because in chapter 6 we see I hope you did your homework we see sort of the rise of the church as a church begins to become more organized. I hope you did your homework when you saw that they had to begin to get more organized because they had to feed the widows and they had to take care of the poor. It wasn't just about meeting on Sundays anymore. It was about how do we make an impact in our community. And so in chapter 6, you see that the church gets organized for ministry and not just for meeting. That's what I love about the church, that it's not just about us meeting, but we, we get organized and we're trying to get stronger this year to do more ministry. In chapter six, you see that. And at the end of chapter six and the entirety of chapter seven, you read this because you did your homework. You've been a good class. You see a defining moment in the Christian faith when Stephen, who was considered the first Christian martyr, is killed for the faith. And for the first time, you see somebody, pivotal moment of the church, epic moment in the story. Somebody stands up and says, I believe in what I saw. Because you do realize that we don't just worship a Christ. We don't just worship Jesus because he taught good stuff. And he taught a lot of good stuff. Do you understand that Christianity is not based just on what Jesus taught? It's based on something that happened in history. We saw a dead man. And we know he was dead. We were there. We saw it, and We saw him buried. And the women went to the tomb, and he wasn't there. And then a few days later, we saw him walking around, and he's kicking it with his homeboys. And Paul says 500 people saw him. So it wasn't just that they were willing to die because Jesus taught good stuff. They were willing to die because their gospel message was that you killed him, God raised him, say you're sorry. Three-point message, good Baptist message. You killed him. God raised him, say you're sorry. And in and, and that pivotal moment in Acts chapter 7, you see Stephen is the first one who is willing to die, not for what Jesus taught, but for what he saw. I mean, can you imagine if you went to somebody's funeral and, and you saw them? And I eulogized them, and it was a beautiful funeral, and we went out to the cemetery, and, and I pronounced it over the the casket, ashes to ashes, and dust to dust, and we lowered them in, and you were there, you saw it, and then on Monday, you drove through McDonald's drive-thru, and saw the person that you know your pastor buried, at the counter, ordering a McGriddle, y'all laughing, but the Bible says that Jesus showed up, and they were eating fish sandwiches on the beach, and he was barbecuing, And they were having a meal together. And what would you do if someone that you knew you saw being buried, all of a sudden you see him at the cookout? I don't care what you do to me. There is no way you're going to get me to recant, watch this, not on what he taught, but you can't get me to go back on what I saw. And the disciples and the apostles, the reason why you even know who Jesus is, Is because they refused to recant their story. We saw him get up from the grave with all power in his hands. Do what you want to me, Stephen says. Kill me if you got to, but I can't turn my back on him because anybody who can predict and pull off their own death, burial, and resurrection, they got my vote. He says, you know what? Kill me because I'm not going to recant my story because I saw Jesus get up. Read whole chapter 7. All Stephen does is give an entire history of the people of Israel all the way up to the resurrection and says, do what you got to do to me. But one thing I'm not going to do, I'm not going to turn my back on Jesus. And so he's considered to be the first Christian martyr, epic moment in the church. But there are two things that I want to I want to lift out of the, these chapters six through 10. I can't preach at all. I want you to do your own homework and read it that I believe Help the church get bigger because let's let's be honest, we got to wrestle with this, that while there's a tension sometimes in our modern culture about what size should the church be, can a church get too big, can I just be honest with you? The church has always been big because you're a part of something that has been bigger than a geographical location bigger than our natural ability to understand, bigger than time restraints. We are the church, not just Tri-City Church, but the church was always supposed to get big. And what we see in the book of Acts is two things that I think Luke sort of points to as, if we're going to understand what's the secret sauce, why did this thing get bigger, because they were growing. You've read your homework. You did what I asked you to do. You read it said that the church was, they were adding to the church, and Peter preached a sermon, and 3,000 people got saved, and, and, but the question is, how did it get to the state that it is now? There's two things that I want to lift up that I think helps us understand the secret sauce of how the church got bigger. Listen to this. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It says, Saul, this was after they killed Stephen, was one of the witnesses. And he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave, watch this word, of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought that when Jesus said uh, in Acts chapter 1, He told him, remember this, he says, I want you to wait in this room, and that gift that, remember I promised you back in John chapter 16 and 17, that I'm going to give you a gift called the Holy Spirit, and he says, and when you get this gift, go back and listen to last week, you're going to receive power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Didn't he not say that? Watch what, what happened. I think you just missed it. It says that persecution swept over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere... To destroy the church, he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers, watch this, who were scattered, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. okay, so let's rewind. Jesus said that you're going to receive power. Remember I said last week that the power was not just for you to be worshipers, the power was for us to be witnesses and Jesus says that this thing is so epic that it's not just going to be contained in Jerusalem. Remember I said epic epic movements means that it spans beyond just a geographical location and Jesus says something kind of scandalous because in those days they thought that him coming as a Messiah was just about them and just about their city and just about their little local gathering and just about us four and no more and Jesus says no here's what's going to happen when the power comes It's going to give you the ability to witness, not just in Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria. It's going to expand beyond the borders. It's going to go to the ends of the world. Here's the problem. For nearly 15 years, after Jesus made that prediction, all the church did was hang out in Jerusalem. And it says, yeah, they won some folks. People came to Christ, and you you read it, that people were added to the church Except that's not how big Jesus said it should be. Remember, he says that when you get this power, it's going to be bigger than your city. It's going to be bigger than your local gathering. It's going to be bigger than just how God can bless you. It's going to be bigger than you just getting yours. It's going to be bigger than it just being just about the nation of Israel. It's going to be bigger than your own personal desires. It's going to be bigger than just what you can get out of it. The power is going to come, and it's going to expand beyond the borders. In other words, Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, the church is going to get bigger. He says, this is what's going to happen. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe you can explain this to me uh, because, or maybe you can't because you've never done this before. You've never actually heard God tell you to do something and not do it. I know this is not the right crowd to be telling that because I'm trying to figure out. uh, If he said that the church should get bigger and it's going to go beyond the borders of Jerusalem, then why did it take more than 15 years for them to start witnessing outside of their own city? he said you're gonna get power to be witnesses and my question is what what happened like and then i realized that uh, that's kind of me too because god can tell me something that needs to grow and i don't know that i put in the work and so I, i wanted to ask luke if i could sit him down in a chair and do an interview okay so what was the secret sauce of how the church got bigger because it appeared that they had no intentions of actually following the plan that Jesus laid out in Acts chapter 1. So Luke, you're a doctor, you're a physician, you're detailed. You you wrote these two books because you want us to have an accurate account of the life of Jesus and Paul in the early stages of the church. Luke, what would you say is the reason why the church got bigger? Here's what Luke said. He said, well, Pastor L, here's the thing. most of the time, we think that growth happens just because you pray. And, and, and you should. I'm not saying don't pray, but he's saying that, that wasn't a secret sauce. Was, was it prayer, Luke? He says, no, because you remember, they were in the upper room in chapter 1. We've seen them pray. How come the church wasn't getting bigger? Because they, they prayed. We know they prayed. Read chapters 1 through 5. They prayed all the time. And so he says, you know what, it, it's not simply Prayer, you should pray, but that's not what made the church get bigger. That's not what's going to make you grow. He says, prayer is good, but that, that wasn't the reason. I said, well, maybe, I don't know, Luke, maybe because I've been taught this before, maybe some of the reason why the church grew is because they had patience. You know, in Isaiah, those who wait on the Lord, they had patience, and maybe... Maybe that was it. He says, no, 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 that's not it, because you can read chapters 1 through 5, and they had patience. Remember, Jesus told him, wait in this room for the power. They, They knew how to practice patience, and maybe that's not the thing that causes the church to grow. Maybe that's not the thing that causes you to grow. It's good, you should wait on God, but that wasn't the secret sauce. I said, okay, well, Luke, I also see that there was some planning, because I just read to you, they, they got organized. Remember the Greek widows and the, and the Hebrew widows weren't getting fed, and so they got together and said, choose you some men that were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And the church got organized, and maybe the reason why the church started to grow is because they had proper planning. He says, no, they had planning. You saw that, but, but that wasn't when it started to grow, because they were still in Jerusalem for 15 years, and the church didn't get bigger. I said, okay, so if it wasn't, if it wasn't prayer, Luke, if, if it wasn't patience, Luke, if, if it wasn't proper planning, all of which we need as a church, what made the church get bigger? Okay, y'all missed it. I told you, I got, I'm not preaching as good as I should. <laughs> I, I got to go back because you, y- y- y'all missed it. He says, watch this. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 again. Remember, they killed Stephen, first Christian martyr. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Then it says, but all the believers who were scattered... Preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Luke says, no, it wasn't prayer. You should pray. That's not what's going to help you grow. That's not always what you need to get bigger. It's not just patience. They had patience. They demonstrated that. They waited on him. It wasn't just planning. They planned. They organized. And we need to get more organized as a church. But the thing that made the church grow, watch this, was persecution. Sometimes, okay, this is... Sometimes the thing that you need to make you grow is you need to have a little bit of pain and a little bit of trouble. Okay, some of y'all. Okay, you're not feeling me, so let me tell this story. It's an old story of a guy who uh, went to see one of his friends. He lived out in the country, and he drove down the long country road. And he sat down on the porch to talk to his friend that he hadn't seen in a while. And They're, they're just having a conversation, and the whole time the man's dog is just hollering. They're trying to have an intimate conversation. He has not seen him in months, and they're trying to have an intimate conversation, and all he kept hearing is trying to have a conversation with the dog. Woo, woo, woo. Fifteen minutes later, he's talking, talking about important business. Woo, woo, woo. He says, hey, man, something's wrong with your dog. Aren't you going to do something about it? And the man said to him, he says, oh, he's sitting on a nail, but when it hurts bad enough, he'll get up and do something. Okay, some of y'all need to understand that sometimes, watch this, the thing that will make you get up and do something and act like you believe that God is able to do what he said he's going to do, is sometimes you need just a little bit of pressure and a little bit of pain and a little bit of hurt and a little bit of trouble. They stayed in Jerusalem for 15 years and it wasn't until they had to experience some persecution that the church got bigger. And some of you, I know I'm preaching about the church, but can I just preach to you individually? Some of you need to understand that sometimes your trouble is training. Sometimes the stuff that you're going through is because God has an intention of getting you to get bigger and stronger and faster and more faithful. And sometimes your trouble comes your way because God is intending to use your trouble to train you and help you grow. The church grew because they had some pressure on it. And even though they prayed and even though they were patient and even though they planned, The only thing that made it get bigger is they had to go through something. Can I just encourage you? Sometimes you got to understand that the stuff that's going on in your life is about God trying to get you to get up off of your do-nothing and actually act like you believe. Jesus said when the power comes... You are going to be witnesses, not just in your local community, but the thing I'm building is bigger than you can ever imagine. But it wasn't until it hurt bad enough that they actually got up and did something like they believed what he said. Some of us, we just need God to lean on us just enough. Don't kill him, God, but hurt him just enough that we finally decide to get up and do what God said. Sometimes the the trouble that you have in your life is just training because I need you to get out side of your little community. I need to get outside of your own head. Get outside of your own circumstances. Get outside of your own ideas about the church. The church got bigger because there was persecution. See, challenges are always an opportunity for growth. That's why I love that Luke says it wasn't just prayer and patience and planning. There, there had to be some problems. There had to be some persecution. That It, it was an opportunity For growth. Listen to what happened in Acts chapter 9, verse 28 through 31. I I read this to you at the top of the year. This is our theme for the year. It says, So Saul, who we know later to be converted into Paul, the same guy that I just read about, who was there when Stephen was killed, and Luke says that Paul or Saul rather was so gangster that he just stood there. Like, you don't even realize, Paul, that Saul was a boss. You don't realize that? Like, he didn't even get his hands dirty. He, it's, Luke says that he was such a boss that while they were killing Stephen, he just stood there holding people's coats approving of what they were doing. Like he was a boss. He, he was taking Christians out. Did you read? Did you hear what I said? He said he was dragging men and women out of their home throwing them in prison. He was getting letters from the government getting authority to kill Christians. Saul was such a boss that he just stood by and watched him kill Stephen and says, I'm not even going to do this work. I'm going to get my boys to handle you for me. It says he was so gangster he stood there just holding coats. And then something happened. It says, Luke says in chapter 9. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem. This is after he had his conversion. You know the story. He was riding on his beast. We say a horse. It did not really save him. And, and he was knocked off of his horse and he met Jesus for himself. And the challenges that the f- church faced the primary source of their persecution, now God flicked it, and now he becomes one of the people that God used. And Luke says, Saul stayed with the apostles, and he went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, the same one that he was trying to get killed, the same one that he was killing people for believing in. Then Luke says that he debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. And when believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown, and the church then had peace. Check this out. Throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord and with encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. The church got bigger when it realized that the challenges it was facing was an opportunity for growth. The same guy Who killed the first Christian ever was the same guy that God called into his service. And can I just share this with you? Sometimes, this is going to be good. I I don't often get blessed by my own preaching, but this blessed me. (laughs) Sometimes, watch this, the insults and injuries and impossibilities are the main ingredient for incredible growth. The same guy who was insulting him, the same guy who was injuring them, the same guy who was killing him is Probably the single-handed most reason why you even know who Jesus is. Because up until 15 years, all the apostles huddled together, and then you know how we are. We just do church together. And when Paul came on the scene, he says, okay, you guys take Jerusalem, I'll take everything else. The boy got it done. And he went out and he evangelized, and the only reason why you even know who Jesus is is from the same person who was insulting the faith you believe in. And sometimes the insults and the injuries and the things that seem impossible are the main ingredient for God to do something incredible. Can I get you to hold on? Because there's some stuff that you're going to face that's going to feel like an injury. It's going to feel like an insult. It's going to be something that seems impossible. But even the the possibilities of, of moving the church forward in the face of Paul who had legal authority to kill Christians, it seemed like, this thing that we now do on Sundays should have never made it out of the first century. They were killing him and throwing them in the lines and boiling them in oil and crucifying them upside down and beating them. And people were coming up missing. It was awful. But the same person that was injuring the church, God used to do something incredible in the church. And sometimes we've got to understand that persecution is the thing that actually helps us grow. That's why I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, you know this. He talks about this thorn. He says that three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. And my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Then he says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hold on, because some of the trouble that you're facing right now is simply God training you to get bigger. So Luke says, "No, it wasn't. It wasn't prayer. It wasn't patience. It wasn't planning. It was, it was, it was persecution." But here's the other thing that I see in those six through ten chapters: it's not just persecution, but there is also a different perspective that was given to the church. Okay, Acts chapter ten, verse nine through fifteen. Make sure you do your homework because I'm skipping around, but this is important because uh, Peter is now having. Uh, some sort of vision about the expansion of the church. Listen to what Luke records. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet, this is a vision that he had, were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Okay, I got to give you a little bit of history. This is when the church begins now to look outside of its Jewish community. And it starts to look outside to those who are outsiders, the Gentiles. And what you got to understand is that in those days, this wasn't just about a vision of culinary choices. What God was doing, because in those days, the the food that people ate, there were two things that gave people identity, the land where they lived and the foods that they ate. And so when God gives Peter this vision, he's saying, here's what the church is about to do, because you all have been trained and learned to detest certain foods, but it wasn't just about the food. It was about the people who were attached to those foods. In other words, anybody who ate those things, were considered unclean and unworthy in their eyes. And here comes God who sends them a Messiah who they think is just for them. And he gives Peter a vision. Watch this. Stop looking at people as if they're less than than you are because what I'm about to do is so big it can't be contained in one culture. So I love the diversity of this church because the church gets bigger when we understand that it's bigger than my personal preference. It's bigger than my background. It's bigger than anything that I could imagine. He tells Peter, kill it and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 it's against our law for me to engage with people from different cultures. And the gospel message that we have is not for them. Can I just tell you, I long for the day when the church is full of people, when there are more non-Christians in the church than there are Christians. If you ask me, it's too many of us in here. (laughs) We need some folks in here who don't know all the religious rules, who don't know when to stand up. They don't know all the protocol and who to call. They don't know all the church stuff that we know. He says, yeah, they may be different from you, but those are the people that I'm actually trying to reach. It's not just about your little group, Peter. The church is us. I've said this before, but the church is not for us. He says, go out and get people that you think don't belong, because those are the people that I'm going to use to make the church bigger. Then it goes on in Acts chapter 10, after Peter obeys God, he goes to a man's house, and, and he, he goes to Cornelius' house, and, and, and he's, he's told to meet this man, and listen what Luke says that Peter says to him, and Peter told him, Acts chapter 10, verse 28, you know It is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. Then he says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. You want to know why the church got bigger? Because it went after people who weren't like them. That's why the church gets bigger, not because we come together and not even because we invite our friends that already go to church. I'm going to let that marinate for just a second. The church got bigger because God gave them ins- explicit instructions to go out and get people who don't believe what you believe and bring them to the church. But, they, but what if they don't believe what I believe? Bring them anyway. What if they don't understand the scriptures? Neither do you. Bring them anyway. (laughs) But what if they're not living what it says in the Bible? Can I just be honest with you? Spoiler alert. Nobody in here is doing everything that that Bible says to do. From the pulpit to the pew. We all struggle with something. He says, don't worry about that. Go get them anyway. The church will not grow until, watch this, we learn to engage people who don't believe what we believe. Okay, so now I'm going to give you, this is the seminar portion of the sermon. I'm going to run through some stuff real quick because I don't know if you've ever been taught this because we tell you to evangelize. We tell you to reach people who don't believe what you believe. But most of us don't even take the time to figure out what it is that people who have different beliefs actually believe. When God is giving him this lesson, not in culinary choices, but in culture, he's saying that there are people who have distinct ways of life and distinct ways that they believe, and he's calling the church in order for it to get bigger to learn how to watch this, intelligently engage people who don't believe what you believe. You know why the church struggles to grow? It's because we don't know how to intelligently engage people who don't believe what we believe. And so we get frustrated and we consider them, watch this, impure or unclean, because you don't believe what I believe. Spoiler alert. Everybody who is a follower of Christ at one point wasn't. I'm gonna let that marinate for a second. Even his disciples who who walked with him for three years, they weren't standing outside of the tomb counting down for his resurrection. Five. Four. Three, two, he's alive. No. They even left him. And it wasn't until they saw him alive that they came back to the faith. Okay, so can I give you six things? And I'm going to run through these real quick because I want us to be a church that is intelligent enough to engage people in an intelligent discussion about what they believe and don't believe. Because can I be honest with you? Because the Bible says so doesn't work for somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible. It just doesn't work that way. So let me give you, because many of us think that most people who don't believe what we believe are all in one group. But can I just give you six things? Now, we're going to just, this is, is it all right if I just teach you? Six types of unbelief, six types of non believers, because everybody's not the same. All right, number one, there are what's called intellectual atheists or agnostics. So you know, atheists, A, without or theos without God or agnostic without knowledge. So an atheist doesn't believe that there is a God. An agnostic believes that there might be a God, but none of us will ever be able to fully know who God is, and so they choose to just not engage in religion at all. God is too big to understand, so I'm not going to mess with it. And there are those who are intellectual, atheists or agnostics. These are the people who seek information and intellectual stimulation about atheism. They like debating and arguing. Some of you know those people. And they usually, watch this, are well read and informed. Those are the people that if you don't know your Bible, do not try to engage them because they will tear you apart. Most of the time it's out of context Most of the time, they don't have the contextual history. Most of us are not Bible scholars, so I don't depend on anybody to believe. But this is a group of people who don't believe in Jesus like you believe in Jesus, but they know the Bible. See, everybody doesn't believe the same thing. Know who you're trying to reach. Number two, there's what's called the activists. Those are the people who are not content with disbelieving in God, but they attempt to convince others to reject religion in God. So it's not just good enough for them not to believe, Their mission is, watch this, to evangelize their brand of faith, which is I don't believe in God, and I'm going to try to make sure that I give you evidence why you shouldn't believe in God either. Because everybody doesn't believe the same thing. Can I I be honest with you? Sometimes that group of people is better at spreading their message than we are. You want to know why there's a decline in the church? Because this group are very good at what they do. Why people are leaving the church who previously, because they can convince people that there is no God. Because they're not just concerned about them not having faith. They don't want you to have faith either. Here's a third group. They're called the seeker agnostics. Remember agnostic, a without gnostic or gnosis, which means knowledge, without knowledge. Listen to this, this group of people. These are people who are unsure about God. But keep an open mind and recognize the limits of human knowledge. They have no firm ideological position. Usually these are people who are very open to you sharing your faith with them. They they admit that God is too big for me to understand, but I'm open to hearing about it. These are the people that Paul is witnessing to in the book of Acts where they tell Paul that you believe some strange things, but we want to know what you believe. These are the group of people who say... God is too big, I don't understand it, but I'm willing to listen to what you have to share about your faith. And if you are able to have an intelligent discussion with them about your faith, they are open and their hearts are open to listen and receive the gospel. Got to know who you're witnessing to. Here's a fourth group, the anti-theists. These are those who are opposed to the idea of the existence of God. They see it as archaic and see religion as flawed, controlling, oppressive, and dangerous. I would venture to say that this group is probably the group that is on the rise at the most rapid rate. Like, you know that group, that religion is archaic, it is oppressive. Those are the people who tell you that religion is used to control people. Oftentimes, this is a group of people who will tie a social issue to their reason for not believing in God. And while there's some truth to the issues that they have about how society treats the oppressed, what they have done is use that as a platform to say, with all of this oppression, with all these things that are going on, with how all of these people, who are, how they're being treated, there can't be a God. You know that group of people, don't you? And they say that, you know what, I'm against the idea of God because I look at the world and I see how jacked up it is. And I can't believe that there's, I can't reconcile that there's a God with how messed up the world is. Is this good? Number five, there's a group called the non theists. This is the smallest group. And they are at the most, they are the most apathetic and disinterested in religion and faith. Faith plays no role in their consciousness or worldview in any way. Smallest group, but they just don't think about it one way or the other. It plays no role in their life whatsoever. They don't think about it. It's not something that they wrestle with. They're not pondering deep questions about life. For them, you live, you die. It's as simple as that. Nothing in between. There's no moral reason to do anything right or wrong. And then number six is what's called the ritual atheists. This group doesn't believe in God or associate with any one religion. They tend to have no belief in an afterlife yet they find religious documents and stories helpful. They accept those teachings as philosophical teachings and cling to the symbolism and imagery provided in religious teachings. These are the types of people who appreciate the rituals and the symbols that come in any religion, but they don't necessarily believe it all to be true or factual. Like, I don't know about that whole I don't know about the Adam and Eve thing. It sounds like fairy tales, but I understand the point that it's trying to make, and I believe that there's some good stuff that I can learn and apply to my life. This group is very open, but they're also open to anything. But but the way to, to, to speak to them is they appreciate the symbolism, and they appreciate the imagery, and they appreciate the things that a lot of the religion, especially Christianity, has to teach they don't just necessarily believe that everything that happened in the Bible is true, but they're open. See, what, what God is showing to Peter is that in order for the church to get bigger, we have got to be intentional about engaging, remember I said this last week, the culture in which we live in. The whole reason why he showed him those animals, because it wasn't just about what he was eating It was about these animals represent various people groups that you have considered unclean. Watch this. You have considered them unreachable. And if the church is going to get bigger, we have to change our perspective. Remember, we need some persecution. But we also need a new perspective. If you and I believe in Jesus, there is no such thing as a person That God can't reach. We just need to learn how to intelligently engage the culture that we live in. Let's stop complaining about how people don't come to church. And let's find out the reasons why they don't come. Let's find out what they believe. And let's find a way to intelligently engage them in conversation about what we believe and why we believe it. That's how the church gets bigger. It's got to be some hard times but we also got to change our perspective and stop running from the culture and learn how to engage it. Is that good? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity. God, we thank you for this chance to study your word. And, and so God, I pray that as we look at this epic story called the church, that we find it in our heart to return back to some of the simplicities that are found in Luke's record of the early church that, that the early church grew because there was pressure to move out beyond what was comfortable and so God I pray as we seek to grow as a local church because God we want to grow we, we want to see more people saved we want to see every seat filled we want to see people baptized God help us to get out of our comfort zone. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Push us where we need to be pushed. And if necessary, bring some persecution to make us get off of our do nothing and get out here and witness to our community. And then, God, we also understand that we need a new perspective. That the day and time is coming where it's no longer okay for the church to hide behind the the four walls and talk about those people who don't believe what we believe and not take time to get to know what it is that they believe and learn how to engage them in a real discussion about our faith. And so God, I pray that you would, as you challenge Peter, you would challenge us to never see someone or a people group or those people or that demographic as a group that is unreachable. Because God, we know that the power of Jesus is powerful enough to penetrate anything that's a barrier to receive in the gospel. God, we thank you and we love you so much for penetrating our, our incorrect thoughts about you and opening our hearts and our ears so that we can receive the gospel message. Help us to be the church that becomes serious about engaging our culture so we can reach people for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.